Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. Hope you're well and getting close to the end of the 40s anyway of the 50 most relevant. Yeah, almost 10 players through the 50 most relevant in number 41 today. Patrick Cripps, the reigning Brownlow medalist. Joining me on this episode, he already has been a part of the 50 most relevant this preseason. You'll hear him plenty more. Mini Monk's back. Hello, buddy. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. It's, it's good to be back on. And it's always an interesting chat about, you know, the player that was the Brownlee medalist from the previous season. Should be a great one. Yeah, he's an interesting cat blue, really, to talk about. 27 years of age. He's one of those guys that he feels like he's been around the footy scenes forever, but still on the edge of mid-20s. He's midfield only eligible. And last year, his top score in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team was a 139 against the Adelaide Crows, while in Supercoach, his top score was against the Western Bulldogs. It was a 162. These are anywhere near, neither of those are anywhere near his career scores against uh, those two formats. It was a 163 against the Gold Coast Suns in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and a 164 in Supercoach. Both of those happen to be in the year of 2019. His average last year in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team was 102, meaning in those two formats, he's going to set you back over 900,000. 903K in AFL Fantasy and 926,400 in Dream Team. While Supercoach, 111.1. And he's going to sit you back more ones. Don't worry about it. Supercoach, 611,900. And my goodness, Mini Monk, outside of making finals, there is not much more Patrick Cripps could have done from a personal perspective to get his beloved Blues into finals. He was spectacular last year. Oh, he was phenomenal. Phenomenal to watch. I mean, the guy really is what you want a, a midfielder to be at your club. Any team would would love to have him as a player to complement their midfields. He he has great burst from stoppage. He's got that perfect build where he's you know nearly two meters tall. He's he's got pretty good skills with his foot. He tackles. He runs players down. I mean, he's he's a great player to watch, and he's a great fantasy and super coach scorer as well. Yeah, he certainly is. Look, last year he came third in the entirety of the AFL for clearances, stoppage clearances, and contested possession. That speaks exactly to what you're talking about. How if there's a ball to be won, and Patrick Cripps, chances are more than anyone else in the league, he's probably going to get one of those three. He also ranked in the top 20 for disposal score involvements and effective disposals per game. Some would kind of think, Oh, that him and effective efficiency of the ball are synonymous. Well, in 2022, as many monks already highlighted, he absolutely was. From a fantasy footy perspective in Dream Team and AFL Fantasy, he scored 11 tons. Seven of those are over 120, including a 130, 138, and a 139. And he had, had an additional seven scores, 84 and above. Now, that, that looks solid enough in and of itself. But his start of the year, he, in six of his first seven games, he reached triple figures. And in that match he missed, that was that infamous game where he got subbed off at quarter time with some hamstring injuries that 
non-owners were thinking, finally a break. Uh, it's not gone my way. And then owners are going, thankfully, it was only a game and a bit missed before he was back. But in reality, in those first full six games he played, he averaged 125 in Dream Team and Fantasy. And he enters into the year in 2023 with the 15th best, best average of all midfielders. So I suppose before we talk about his super coach stats, which is historically minimum been where he's been at his best. That's where people are probably quite excited about Cripps is they remember that start to the year and think, whew, there's still some fat on the bone here. Yeah, I mean, 125 over a seven-round stretch with an injury in the middle as well, comes back with a 123, backs it up with a 125 and a 130. Amazing. Like, that's crazy. You, You don't get players that do that very often. I mean, the only one that comes to mind is when Whitfield came back and got a 180 and then, you know, manages to get himself injured the next week as well. But you look at that and you think 125 puts him, you know, five points per game higher in average than what Rory Laird averaged the entire season. And it's nearly wow. 13 points higher than the second highest averaging AFL fantasy player from last year in Oliver. And, and you're telling decent. me he's coming in price at, you know, 100s in the 100 range? Like yeah, that's, 101. That's value. 102. It's... That's a lot of value crazy the what he did in patches and we'll talk about his patches of scoring in a second but over in Supercoach, he's even more prolific from his 21 games 13 tons eight of them over 120 six of those 13 tons were over 130 and that includes scores of here's some game breaking scores 146 yeah. 151 and 162 if you've got that in your team with the vc or the c on it you know you're heading for a good week or covering up a potentially horrific decision in cash cow roulette. Despite that injury that we've talked about, his start of the season was just dominant that if you didn't have him, man, you were actually playing catch up over those first eight weeks. Because over the first seven weeks, if we want to drill into that, he scored five scores over 132. And even with that injury effective game of 38, he still averaged 125 over the first seven matches. So if we were to break his season almost into thirds, rounds one to eight, he averaged 125.5 in Supercoach and 112.4 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. In Supercoach and AFL Fantasy between rounds nine to 18, this is where he got quiet. 94.3 in Supercoach and an 87.8 in AFL fantasy. But if you held on for the final five weeks of the year, whew, Captain Cripper really rewarded you. Back to the 120 plus average with a 121.2 in super coach between around 19 to 23. While in the same patch of time, 113 in AFL fantasy. I mean, you might, everyone heralds that start of the year, but his end of the season was equally as strong. Yeah, I remember everyone was scrambling around in, in round two in round three to bring him in in both Supercoach and Fantasy. Anyone who didn't start it in was, you know, selling the farm to try and get their way to Crips. And then everyone, I think, remembers that middle section of the season where he just didn't perform quite as well. And mm-hmm. even I was looking at the stats today and came back and went, wow, he actually finished the season, you know, in really good shape, really good scoring and, and nearly got his team over the line to, to make finals. They just missed out. And I, I think he'll want to be riding that wrong and, you know, trying to, to lead from the front and get them through again. And so... Look, it, it's it's definitely an interesting split through the year. And, and I think it shows that there's a good time to jump onto him and maybe there's a time to, to not be on the guy. You, you've really yeah. got to time your runs with Crips. I think that's a good point. It also probably brings home the point that maybe sometimes these 
running at career high scores, which is really what he's doing in those back and front end of the year. When a guy's on a hot tear like that, that hard decision that we make mid-season, Mini Monk, is do I jump on this guy? Is it a sustainable run? Or do I keep hedging my bets and going against him and knowing that it hurts me? Because if you jumped on Crips at round nine, you're getting that 94.3 from that time and missing the 125 in Supercoach. While in AF and DT, you're getting that 87.8 and missing that 112. And that is a part of the strategy of the game is timing when you get these big premiums in. Absolutely. I mean, as much as your starting squad makes a, an impact on how you you know go in the season, you've got to pick the right time to jump onto these players. And and that actually has much more of an effect than people like to, to think it does. It, it defines your season. Can you get on a player right before they have a big run or are you jumping off a player right before they're going to you know start falling off of the cliff? And, and I think with Crips, you've really got to time those runs. And mm. I think it's not just about, you know, the teams that he's coming up to face and the form that he's in, but also, you know, who's in him and around him in the team. I mean, he, he had to do a lot of things through the year where he probably wasn't playing just as a pure inside mid. He was having to push forward sometimes because they were, mm. you know, weak in their forward line stocks. He was having to chop out in the ruck when Pidney That's was right. injured. I mean, yeah. he had to, he, he wasn't just a, a pure inside mid. He was almost a Mr. Fix-It at times. Yeah, and that, a lot of that time was in that middle bracket of, of the season too, between round nine and 18. That yeah. was often where he was the Sally's all gap for the team, while the rest of the midfield were being quite well supported with Walsh, with Chera, um, with Hewitt. Um, these guys, even Kennedy was playing a really important role through there as well. So how that midfield unit functions, and we'll talk about Sam Walsh's absence in a moment, is really fascinating to me. Um Throughout the years of doing the 50 most relevant, we love getting guests on these podcasts. You've already heard Bales has been a guest on and some more great guests lined up coming through the 30s right through to the end of the 50 most relevant. But one of the guests we've had on almost annually is the Statesman. If you listen to the Draft Doctors or the Point of Difference podcast, chances are you've heard his name. But for years now, he's been championing on both of these brands the curse of the winner of the Brownlow medal. In essence, what that he's been saying is, is when you win a Brownlow medal, pretty much you have the perfect year. You have a, a career high season, so to speak. And rarely can you reach those heights again, um, not just in terms of winning a Brownlow medal, although multiple people have done that, but in the sense of, career high stats, career high score involvements, career high scoring columns all being populated to its fullest. And if you go and look back from 2021, just through to 2016, so just looking at the past six Brownlow medalists, there's just one person who was just able to maintain what they did from their Brownlow year to the year following, but actually improve on that. And that was Patrick Dangerfield. He had a differential improvement of six points per game in Supercoach. He took it up to a 136. So that was pretty crazy. And a up wow. by 2.6 in AFL Fantasy. But you start to look at the rest of these names, Mini Mike, Wines, Neil, Fife, Mitchell, Martin. These are all guys with huge fantasy pedigree but all ranged anywhere from a failing of six points per game right up to 34.5 points per game differential. So that Brownlow medal slide that Statesman talks about, it's pretty real. Oh, yeah, it, it definitely is. Real. I mean, the stats don't lie. You, you tend to regress after you've had a banner year and you don't want to be, you know, 
you know, starting a player like Crips, if he's going to be, you know, 30 points down on his previous year, that's going to really hurt you in your starting squad when you're searching for every little bit of value you can get. But then the devil's advocate for Crips is, you know, he got an injured game, which is affecting his yeah. average, affecting his price. And he had to play, as we talked about before, a different role for an extended portion of the season. And, you know, maybe he can buck the trend. Maybe he can be the danger field that has, you know, maybe a couple of points of upside in fantasy and, and a few more in, in super coach because he gets a more consistent role and maybe he doesn't get injured for the year and look i think that makes him a very interesting prospect as to whether or not you pick him in your starting squad or whether or not you think he's going to regress and you're going no patrick cripps you can stay the hell out of my team to start off with i don't want a piece of you yeah no and that's the beauty of statistics isn't it you can view them in all these different caveats you can see the splits of what Brownlow medalists have done in their following year you can see that middle portion of the year of neil and go i'm not neil sorry of crips and go that's it i'm out i want nothing to do with him or as you've beautifully highlighted going oh i'm going to get a Brownlow medalist that's got upside i'm going to get a Brownlow medalist that everyone's going to be off and now all of a sudden i've got at least according to the umpires the best and fairest player in the league is now going to be unique in my side. And, and that's the beauty of fantasy footy is we can all see things in a different light and come to elements of conclusions. But what, what's interesting for me as I try to forecast through what Carlton does in 2023 is they've already confirmed that there won't be Sam Walsh, at least in the early portion of the year. Um, back in late December, they said they had no other alternative but to go with the surgery in his back. And so while the club hasn't given a definitive timeline of when he's back, they have said, look, he's he's not going to be playing the first month of the year. They'd be very surprised if he's playing the first month. So what does that mean for Cripps? Minimunk, for me, that, that just screams increased responsibility on his shoulders. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be leaving the, the midfield rotation anymore. I mean, that, that that's, not, that's not going to be in the question. As long as they've got a fit forward line and a fit ruckman, he's going to be in there, you know, 85% of CBAs. But the question is, is that the role that, do, do they have a role share between what Walsh and what Cripps do? And I think there's a slight bit of overlap, but, you know, I mm. think Walsh is a little bit more on the outside, a little bit more of a gut runner into space, whereas Cripps is, you know, he's been called the inside ball. Yeah. He, he works in and around the ball. And so maybe there's a little bit of upside there for Walsh being out for the first month, but you also don't pick a player at, you know, 600K or, you know, nearly $950,000 in, yeah. in these formats for the for the first month. You're picking them for the year. You want them to be in your side from, from round one to round 24. Yeah, that, so, that's I mean, very if true. there's a little bit of upside there, yeah, if there's a little bit of upside there with Walsh, it might be a nice reason to, you know, sway you into starting them versus not starting them as if you're really on the fence. But I think if if you've made your mind up on him, I don't think that the Walsh out is going to be the, the thing that tips you over the line. Yeah, I agree. Look, there's only really one player that does affect Cripps scores when that player is out. Uh, and it's not Walsh. It's George Hewitt. And it, and it's actually not Hewitt playing. It's Hewitt's absence and what that does for him. Last year, they played 14 games together. Now, remember, this does include an injury impact a game in the data. So just factor that in when you're looking at it. But it does highlight the point. He averaged 94.5 in Fantasy and Dream Team and 102.8 in Supercoach when they played together 14 times. However, in the seven games Hewitt didn't play, Cripps goes at a mouth-watering 117 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and 128 in Supercoach. We're talking a 22 to 25 points per game differential across the format. So if Hewitt's not there at the start, let alone Walsh, 
oh boy. Um, now, all of a sudden, you're starting to see that value that Mini Monk is really highlighting through this episode. Uh, look, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot more sense with with a player like Hewitt compared to a player like Walsh. I mean, they're both mm. very Walsh inside. and sorry, um, Hewitt, Hewitt and Cripps are both very inside players. They both accumulate, you know, a fair bit of their scoring through tackling and contested possessions and, and working the ball from the inside to the outside. So that makes a makes a huge it makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Look, one of the reasons, and you you've kind of alluded to it already, that a lot of people over the years have opted out of spending high. 100 plus, you know, uh, average um, or 110 average in, in other formats in Supercoach uh, at their starting squad is they're like, ah, he's just not reliable. He's injury prone. I want nothing to do with him. And they throw him out or they discard him. But the reality is he's just missed three games in the past three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so staying on the park, I don't, or staying with the narrative of I'm not picking him because he's injury prone, at least the most recent history we can go off. I don't know if that's fair. And even though he did miss a game and get injured mid-game with a hamstring, if you're going, I'm not picking him because he's injury prone, I don't think that argument is the watertight one. Now, maybe it might be the differential of you're looking at someone like Mm. Clayton Oliver versus Cripps and now you're going, durability is the ultimate decider. Okay, fine. But if that's the only flag reason for not starting Cripps, I, I don't think that's compelling enough for me. But what's your take on him? Like, Mini Monk, is he in your starting squad considerations or is he very much an upgrade target? I think I view him more as an, an upgrade target for the for the coming fantasy season. I, I don't think that there's enough consistency, enough of a, a, a you know, inbuilt value, enough of an mm-hmm. upside that I can see in him for him to be a player that defines your season like he was last year. I mean, he yeah. came in at such a discounted price last year, which is why everyone was scrambling to get him. But this year, you know, he's coming in at a, a very top premium price where you, you're, you're paying a similar price to, you know, players like Bontempelli and McRae and Josh Kelly. And yeah. there's just enough other options around him and enough question marks over the player that mm. you probably leaning away from starting him i wouldn't begrudge anyone who wanted to start him, no, especially sure. in super coach i think super coach he's shown that he can go on runs of you know 120 plus yeah. 125 plus 130 plus he's an out and yeah. out vice captaincy and captaincy choice every week absolutely but i view him more as an upgrade candidate and he's someone that you know he might make our way into our, our teams at the end of the season especially you know they come in with the last buy there's, there's a stacked yeah. buy but you know he might have a run from round 17 to, to round 24 where he's like i need to drag carton over the line i need to be the absolute best player that i can be or maybe even to get him into the top four yeah and and i can see him going for a run in a period of the season where he's going you know 120 af 130 super coach and you mm-hmm. want to be on him for that run yeah but it's about finding when that run's going to be and Jeez, that's going to be a big question. Yeah, that's it. I, I agree. And, and I think for me, because of the, the patchiness of how he scores and the price you're starting with him, you've got to bank on that patchy hot streak. And maybe patchy is an unfair word on him. That hot streak yeah. of weeks. Yeah. yeah. You're banking on that coming out of the absolute start and then riding the wave of historically when he has a quiet three, four, five, six weeks. So for me, I, I, I agree. I think you're either you're banking him at the start and you're hoping he it's that hot streak bang start, start speak on that Thursday night game against the Tigers like he did in 2022, or you're just positioning yourself for that 30s game, that 40s game, that 50s game where things don't go his way and you're going to jump on 
and, and get him as a great upgrade target. Because either way, starting squad or upgrade target, he's relevant because he can take oh, a absolutely. patch of games away from you as Minimux so well positioned for us. Uh, let's talk about what he does on draft day. Last year in ultimate footy, he had an average draft position. 43. I know that sounds early, but based on the fact that he finished as the 15th best midfielder in AFL fantasy in and dream team and the 12th best average in super coach, that meant you got some real value for money based on what you spent as a drafting spot. Um, I've got a take. I'm, I'm not sure what you're thinking a mini monk, but I think he'll go M2 across the formats. I wouldn't draft in there in AFL fantasy and dream team formats. So I'll explain why in a sec, but across the formats, I think he goes at M2 based on that. Where do you think he goes on draft day? I think you're about right. I think maybe someone might take him as an M1 in super coach, but I can't yeah. see him going before an M2 in AFL fantasy. There's also going to be a lot of name value around him as well. I mean, he's coming That's up for Brownlow. There's a lot of people that are going to see the name and see what he's done for stretches in the season. They could go, yep, I'll take him. I know what he's like. He's consistent. I, I probably wouldn't want him as an M2 in AFL fantasy. It'd be, you know, it's, it's a very risky one, mm. but maybe if it's a very late M2 and you've backed it up, you know, with a really strong, strong forward like one of the Dunkleys, Taranto's, um uh Rosie's types yeah. and you've got another really good midfielder then having Crips there as your M2 probably doesn't hurt quite as much but yeah in Supercoach I think he's he's very clearly in that that early to mid M2 range yeah I, I think so look ranked underneath him based on averages from last year Steel, Kelly I'm finding every way I can to get Josh Kelly into the 50 most relevant. Don't worry, friends. Uh, Ollie Wine, Sam Walsh, and Darcy Parrish. So even though they're ranked beneath him by average, I just don't see enough guys underneath that will push him out of the top 20 mids based on where people will draft yeah. in Supercoach. So you're right. I think he goes M2 there. And then AFL Fantasy, the reason I'd choose him as an M3 uh, is because beneath him are Kelly, Mitchell, Simpkin, Parrish, Bontempelli, and Noah Anderson. Yeah, just names. within, yeah, some good names. And just in my personal rankings, I've got them all, I think, performing stronger than Crips this year. Um, and, and so for me, it probably means I'm like you. I'll, I'd like to draft him in an M3 spot unless I'm going really heavy on another line. And that just means based on where others will rank him, I think he'll go most probably inside the top 20 mid. So that's an M2. And so in drafts, I'll probably miss him based on that ranking. But I, I suppose that's the beauty of drafts, isn't it, um, Mini Markets? We all rank and view these players in different ways. Yeah, and it only takes one person to draft a player. I mean, you, you're true. in a 10-team league. None others might be like, I don't want a piece of him until he's an M3. And one person might say, no, I think he's got upside. I'm going to take him an M2. And I, I don't think I want to be the person that does that. Not, not in an A4 <laughs> fantasy, but in super coach, maybe. But yeah, yeah. I think I think it's, you know, you know, someone else, you can take the risk. Not my, yeah. not my problem. It all depends on, you know, it takes, like you said, not just one person to draft, but one person to be keen, jump that little mm. bit extra early in a super coach. If you're in the second round and all of a sudden you've landed yourself one of those big premium scoring rucks that others have scared off, or you've gone and yeah. got yourself that big forward or a really big option that's like, yeah, a, a, a late M1 might not be the worst if you secure some other stuff. So that's the beauty of drafts is we all draft differently and rank people in different ways. Hey, Mini Monk, as always, mate, I appreciate your work and your support on this podcast. 
No, no, thanks for having me on. It's, it's really good to chat about him and I'm sure I'll be chatting to you sometime in the future. Absolutely, you will. If you want to go and read the article on Patrick Cripps, maybe you want to dive into a little more depth for those Brownlow statistics, I've got them all for you online now and at coachespanel.tv. You can go and check that out. In 30 seconds, I'm going to give you a clue who's in at number 40 of the 50 most relevant. But if you've been loving these podcasts, they've become a part of your daily fantasy footy diet. We'd love you to make sure you're following and subscribing wherever you're listening to this podcast and leaving a five-star rating and review. Encourage you if you haven't done so, tell a mate that loves your fantasy footy too about the coaches panel and these podcasts and articles. And of course, you can join our Patreon subscriber group. It is where you get a bunch of exclusive content, access to hidden groups, and you even get these podcasts 24 hours early if you become a breakout or a premium tier supporter. All the links to become a patron, you can find at coachespanel.tv. So who's in at number 40 of the 50 most relevant? I'll give you two clues. Number one, they scored a ton in their very first game of AFL. Number two, they're heading into the infamous third year breakout. And if you're kind of curious did they have a scoring regression in year two or did they go up? They went up. Who am I talking about? Who's at number 40 of the 50 most relevant? You'll find out tomorrow here at the Coaches Panel. Here's